Lives, a giant monsters podcast where the hosts truly believe that something will rise from the ocean and destroy us all. I'm Coleman. And I'm Kyle. For the last, I want to say, three or four episodes, we have complained about two things. Specifically, two gigantic movies Yes. that are on the precipice of release. And maybe not so much Kong, but <laughs> King Kong <laughs> and Godzilla, the Japanese 2016 version... These are these huge films that have a release date and in Godzilla's case are coming super quick. And up until two weeks ago, yeah. uh, we had heard nothing on either of these films for the most part. Just some leaks, some random uh, promotional pieces, like nothing major. Nothing, you're not really seeing anything. It's crazy. It's it's just incredibly disappointing. Right. Uh, so we wake up today, we post a few things to the website, one of which is a... Um, rumor that we might get some godzilla uh resurgence news tomorrow uh, with some advanced <laughs> yeah. ticket sales and stuff yeah. and uh out of nowhere the godzilla resurgence trailer drops yep and we posted that we got getting tons of comments and emails from about it right now and i can't believe this thing just snuck up on us yeah it really did sneak up on us like hardcore um I mean, I suppose in retrospect, thinking about it, uh, I guess technically when it got posted, it was April 14th in Japan, uh, you know, since they're a day ahead of us, technically. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's the day that the the tickets went on sale. So it makes sense that it came out. But just all of us were expecting it tomorrow. Like nobody was thinking like, oh, it'll come out later today. Uh, and it just it just blasted in out of nowhere and just took everyone by surprise. And the Internet's been a storm about it. Uh, and as far as Kong goes, uh, at the MTV Movie Awards, I think it was last weekend. Uh, it was Sunday. Sunday yeah, night. Sunday. Uh, they uh, they had a little uh, behind-the-scenes feature uh, showing uh, some f- some of our first footage of the film. Uh, no, no monster stuff, no Kong, no nothing. But they showed us general information about the film, pretty much, of like, what's what does the time period look like? What does the island look like? What is Who are the actors in it? Uh, and it was just a lot of information just kind of got dumped in that thing, even though it wasn't maybe what our listeners are really wanting to see. But uh, there's some little snippets in, within that news that is very, very interesting. So let's jump in and talk about the uh, the Kong footage first. I was I was really surprised by it not really showing us too much. Yeah. But I really enjoyed what I saw. I mean, I, I had not really that many expectations for this film yet. We know it's going to set up. Um more of the kaiju universe that legendary is trying to build with godzilla and king kong and whatever else they're going to bring into that <laughs> yeah. um but we we didn't really know much about this film is it a reboot what's it going to do and we learned that it's from tom hiddleston he did some interviews that basically this is going to be not a reboot but um kind of a soft reimagining yeah. of the story set in the 70s with new characters uh, it's not going to be them filming a movie or anything like that. It's <laughs> it's going to be a new take on it. Samuel Jackson, Brie Larson, Tom Hiddleston. 
John Goodman. John Goodman. Uh, he's a wily one. You got to find him in, in the pictures. <laughs> but uh, but no, no, no. This is a completely new take on to- Kong. And uh, just from the little snippets we saw, we saw a, a giant skeleton of yes. Kong. Yeah. Uh, not of the Kong in the movie, but either a rival or an ancestor or something. We saw a skeleton of, of the same species that is just massive. Yeah. I mean, this the, the skeleton is like, uh, I mean, when we the image that uh, is on our website and in the actual footage itself uh, shows a couple of people, uh, like two or three people actually walking through the mouth of the skeleton. Uh, and it looks like they could fit comfortably with inside the mouth of the skeleton. So uh, while not Godzilla size, it's not 100 meters tall or whatever. Uh, I mean, this thing's got to at least be 40 meters, if not 50 meters tall. Uh, so, I mean, if that is how big Kong himself is going to be, I could see them easily finding a way either for him to stay that height and fight Godzilla, because that's about the same height as uh, the Muto male was in uh, 2014. Or, uh, you know, doing something to make him grow consistently, like either his species never stops growing. Uh, so whenever we meet him in twenty uh, in 2020, when he's fighting Godzilla, he's going to be like a really old ape that's just going to be huge. Or uh, maybe they are, you know, like th- there's so many, so many things with this that we obviously we don't know, but it's all speculation at this point. Uh, the biggest thing that I it, that you can tell, though, is this Kong a skeleton is way bigger than most of us anticipated. Which is good because, I mean, uh, whether you see it as, you know, maybe this is an ape that Kong killed or the same species, uh, it makes sense that, you know, seeing this, they could size up the actual hero Kong right. um, even more so. And so the, I, I think we've, we're within the parameters of a good fight now. Yeah, uh, definitely. And this is the proof of that. So... On top of that, we also saw Samuel Jackson running around with some military types. We know that Tom Hiddleston plays a British SAS officer. Yes. Um, so he's got some training and background in that. That'll that'll give him the heroic action scenes I think uh, we're all right. looking for in a classic Kong story. Um, outside of that, I just thought the cinematography looked great. It, it was very modern. It's very weird to see a, a modern setting of Skull Island. Uh, very Vietnam-esque with a lot of the military garb and weapons you know, hearkening back to that time frame and that war specifically. So yeah, I would, definitely. I if think... I were to guess, if I were to guess, we're going to get some uh, pretty harsh imagery with the native native Islanders uh, this time around. Yeah. And there's, there's hints towards that in the footage too. There's, there's the shot of an explosion. There's a the shot of the village on fire. Uh, so there, there's a lot of little things that I think, I think they will definitely pull in some of that Vietnam war imagery on. Um, I think that, uh, it's, it's very interesting because in all the footage, and I pointed this out to you when the footage actually happened, is it really does look like that there may be two teams of people on the island. Uh, Sam Jackson's character uh, and John Goodman, as we searched and found him, are in one set. And then uh, Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson and a couple of other people are in the other group of people. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I, I'm just, you know, this is all speculation. But I'm, I'm guessing that either Sam Jackson's company is going to be out to rescue 
Tom Hiddleston in them, or they're going to be there for a completely different reason, and they're almost going to be the villains of the story. Uh, yeah. Maybe they're going to be the ones that are coming to ransack the island, and the others are the people that are coming there to study what's going on here. Uh, but I think the biggest thing that that is really interesting is, yeah, the look of the film from the, the quick snippets that we saw on the monitors is really cool. Uh, not like any other Kong film we've ever seen before. Uh, the island setting, uh, it looks like like an island in the Pacific now. Like it, it, it has a very unique look to it that is different from, say, Peter Jackson's Kong, which just kind of had that dark, generic jungle look to it. Uh, this looks very much like an island that you would find, like, out off the coast of Japan or uh, off the coast of Vietnam or anything like that. Like, it looks really, really, really cool. Yeah, um, and, and not to stay too long on Kong, we are going to move on, but um, I do want to point out that a lot of the rumors and a lot of the hearsay from fans uh, say that, you know, John Goodman's character and a couple of the other characters we see in just these these quick shots um, probably going to have some connection to, like, Monarch uh, yeah, like someone's that's, that's going gonna to. Be, yeah, yeah, that's gonna be going to be the Godzilla to. 2014 connection. Um, there's talk. I mean, th- there's a lot of talk that we'll hear or see something of Godzilla in this film, like yeah. a superhero tease. Um, I was surprised by that, but it, it's it's a rumor it that will not surprising. go away. Yeah, it wouldn't be too surprising if they. I, I feel like if they were to do some sort of maybe not a post credit sequence, but a mid credit sequence with a hint towards Godzilla. Um, I, I would not be surprised, uh, even if it was, maybe they'll do something like, uh, have, uh, Tom Hiddleston's character, uh, in makeup or something in 2014, uh, or something like that. I don't know. Or you never know. I mean, they kind of establish these mudos as this generic monster race that they can kind of bring in whenever they want it's it's what if we saw kong fight a mudo like it's just a different skull island version no yeah and i mean that's and that's the big mystery too is if kong is going to be this large uh then what is he going to fight because i i really don't see that him fighting a t-rex if he is the size of the 54 godzilla like i feel like he is going to end up fighting actual other monsters instead of uh, like the normal dinosaur type creatures that we see on a skull island. Uh, but it just, it, now that we've seen actual footage and we've seen kind of what they're going for, it just really opens up a lot of possibilities. It's not, it's not as much speculating as it was before. Whereas before we were kind of going off of no information. Now we're going off of little tidbits and we can actually kind of try to guess what's going on. Exactly. <laughs> so head over to TokyoLivesPodcast.com where uh, we actually did a breakdown of the trailer um, yep. scene by scene and shot by shot. Uh, really interesting stuff. People have really been turned on to that. So check that out. Leave a comment. Uh, moving on, the the big, big news. I mean, I, I <laughs> the love most Kong. recent news. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Kong, but oh, wow, was it overshadowed today by the first real... Godzilla Resurgence Shin Gojira trailer. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it uh, as we said earlier, it really came out of nowhere. Uh, we we knew we were probably going to get something in April at some point. Uh, I think we've mentioned that on the podcast before that that was m- the most likely thing that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did not expect as at the same time we got more than I expected and less than I expected. Uh, which is kind of strange to say, but, uh, I mean, I, I feel like the, the trailer itself is set up still like a teaser trailer. Like it really is. Yes. We see footage of the suit in action or CG in action. Uh, yes, we see footage of the actors, but there's no dialogue. Uh, it's all just music. 
Uh, we still have no idea of the actual plot of this movie other than Godzilla appears. Uh, so, I mean, really, we, we know not much about this film other than what we see. <laughs> yeah, what we know is that Godzilla appears and he is jacked up looking. Yeah, he's I real mean, messed up. If you've seen the leaks, if you've seen any of the promotional items so far, you know that Godzilla is missing skin. He he is. This is zombie Godzilla. Yeah, he's not. He's not feeling too well. Uh, and it, he's, he's very demonic looking, very monstrous, mm-hmm. uh, more so than he's looked in a while. Definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, he he's got this. Uh, he's got a really large grin on his face. Like it's is it weird? Like sadistic, like look to his his mouth because he has no lips. Because I guess they got burned off by whatever happened to him um so like he's just got you know i mean we, we've seen you've seen the promotional picture of him like he's got teeth like coming out of his jaw and stuff like that but when you actually see the suit in its full motion like you can tell that like yeah he's he's not feeling he's not feeling too hot uh he's and, he's definitely been been through some stuff <laughs> and the thing about this is it's it's interesting the the reigning theory right now and and my personal favorite is that this is the 1954 Godzilla regenerated from his bones uh which makes sense cuz we're seeing weird snippets like if you uh if you take it frame by frame the trailer uh you can see in one shot of his tail he has a whale skeleton yeah or like, what we think is a whale skeleton. It I guess. looks exactly like. I mean, people brought up some pictures, and it looks exactly like a whale skeleton embedded in his tail skin. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, I mean, it, it makes sense if he was at the bottom of the ocean, he was regenerating his skin, growing around just whatever fell yeah. uh, in the time that he was regenerating. I mean, it's. If this is the case, this is a slow regenerating Godzilla. Which makes sense. If this is the 54 Godzilla, uh, as far as we can tell, Resurgence seemed to take, seems to take place in the modern day. So, I mean, he's been regenerating for quite a while. <laughs> Look at it like uh, the Heisei Godzilla uh, that could super fast regenerate. Um, look at that as, you know, Richard Donner's Superman movies versus <laughs> this is our Man of Steel trying to be more realistic and gritty uh, Godzilla. <laughs> I guess that's one way to put it. Kind of weird, but I guess I, that's hey, one way. I will make the Superman analogy whenever I can. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I, I, I still have my reservations about the design. Uh, I think that, uh, I, you know, and we, we can't go too much into this, of course, because it is we got to get to our main topic of the night at some point tonight. But uh I, I think that the design works. It looks really cool because it has like a lot of red accents to it, which really accentuate like it looks like he's in pain. It does not look like like once again, he's not feeling 100 percent himself and he doesn't really uh, he doesn't seem to be walking at a really fast pace, which makes him look really stiff. Um, but, uh, you brought this up earlier, uh, uh to me was that, you know, like whenever, <laughs> if, if you get, you just got like all your skin burned off and you're like trying to heal, you're not going to be able to walk at a really fast pace. You're not going to be able to move your stuff around too much because it's going to rip that flesh and, you know, then you're going to have to heal again. So I think a lot of the issues and problems that people are having with the design, I think they can all be traced back to, to that point of him being really hurt and and missing most of his skin and being horribly burned i think that that's the deal with the small arms and the weird looking legs and and the face it's all jacked up i think this all comes back to what will be a major part of the story is that godzilla is barely alive yeah and he's just so he's probably delusional with anger which is great because then you can still have this heroic godzilla that's just in so much pain he's become this monster again 
Um, yeah, I you mean, can kind it, of play at both angles. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what take what what which way they go with it. I just I, I don't. There's like there's a lot of things that I like about it. Uh, I I really like the the spikes. I really like his dorsal spines. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that he has five rows. Um, I like that he. Uh, the red is like really uh, in between his spikes, yeah. Uh, so it looks it looks like his spikes are just like freshly growing, uh, which makes sense because the original Godzilla uh, suit only had three rows, and if it is the fifty four Godzilla, he suddenly has five, which means that like more spikes are growing as he's regenerating. So it's cool and to see stuff like that. I know people um, have a real issue with the tail. Uh, mostly, I mean, people are obviously complaining about the, the lack of gravity affecting it, but yeah. the big thing I keep seeing pop up is, uh, the length, the length of tail is crazy. He has a really long tail. Like but it's real long. To that, I would just say we are talking about a radioactive dinosaur that everything <laughs> grew when he, I mean, there's no, some of the coolest pictures and fan art you see online of Godzilla have this crazy whip like tail that almost looks like a diplodocus tail. Uh, or something like that, and and I love that design. I love it. I think it's really cool, and uh, gives him really some extra reach. As yeah, a weapon. no, I, I I like the long tail. Um, the only thing that bothers me with it is the tail is super long, but they still treat it almost like it's not. Uh, for instance, uh, I there are some scenes in eighty five uh, where his tail is doing some crazy stuff. And when you look at how his tail is doing the crazy stuff, it it looks weird, but it's not overly weird because it matches the body proportion that he has. Whereas this tail is like super long. It's the exact same length or, you know, it's it's longer than his body, but they're making it do the same crazy stuff that it did in 85. And that doesn't it doesn't look the same. It doesn't look right. It looks a little weird, but I think I think that's the kind of that's the aesthetic they're going for. This looks this looks off. It looks uh, it looks strangely formed. Um, like I think you compared it in uh, your article that should post soon, uh, aka tomorrow, another trailer breakdown, but of Shin Godzilla. Yeah, uh, that it looks like just some meat. Like his face looks like meat that's been pounded. Yeah, it literally looks like someone took a pound of ground beef and just like mashed it together to make a face. Uh, and then they added little googly eyes on it, and there you go. That's this what his is, face kind of looks like. This is Godzilla in round 12 of a bout fight uh, <laughs> yeah. with, you know, a Muhammad Ali, and this is, he's, he's not he's not getting out of this ring in one piece. So and I mean, as as I really kind of am still holding on to the hope, I, and I feel like I'm probably deluding myself at this point, that he is going to still regenerate to a full Godzilla by the end of the film. Uh, I think... I, I just feel like that's going to happen because there's also there is a little validity to my thoughts. Uh, the scene uh, with him roaring at the very, very, very beginning of the trailer, uh, he does look a little bit more filled out in the face. Um, like, you know, when I was doing my trailer breakdown, I was really looking at that shot and I, I compared it to the shot of uh, him just walking around. And it really does look like he has more skin over his face, like where his teeth are and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if they're, maybe they're not going to do a full regeneration, but they're still going to make it look like he is healing. Uh, well, I mean, one of the oldest rumors we've heard of the film is that uh, ever since the leaks of the pictures, uh, there's been the rumor that he has three different forms in the movie. And whether that's true or not, we have no idea, but that's been a pretty long-standing rumor of the film that he goes through three stages. Right. 
And I mean, I, I would just, I would like to see what this design looked like whenever it got its flush back, is what I'm trying to say. Because this design itself is not bad, it's just, it's just, there's some goofy aspects of it. Uh, and, uh, with it being such a serious film, I don't know if that's going to detract from it. Uh, especially since, you know, they're trying to compete with the 2014 Godzilla, which pretty much everybody fell in love with that design. So... But yeah, no, I mean, it was great. Uh, I mean, the fact that we have footage of it. I mean, the movie comes out in uh, on July 29th uh, in Japan. Uh, we still have no word on an American re- release date. Hopefully we'll get some news on that soon, at least for maybe a limited thing. I mean, if they're, uh, if they're you know, giving the theater list, the Japanese theater list tomorrow, yeah. I would hope that they give some information on the American release. I would hope so, too, because it really does seem like... I mean, they gave it an American title, like, already. That You know, it's called Godzilla Resurgence in America. Like, the fact that they, like, beat themselves to the punch. They didn't, like, sell the rights to distribute the film and let the distributor decide on a title for the film. They made the title for the film as they released the title of the actual film to the public. So... It's just, it's just kind of, you know what I mean? It's just very strange, and it seems like they have something planned, but they haven't said anything yet. And it is actually really strange. There are several blog posts from Toho uh, where they refer to it as Godzilla Resurgence, and they say the release date is July 29th. So it is very, like, re- re- relating to the American title and then saying it's coming out on July 29th is very strange. Like, maybe they do have something up their sleeve that they're just, they want to save till closer till July 30th. Uh, you never know. So that's I mean that's our coverage for Godzilla Resurgence at least right now. Yeah. Hopefully some more promotional teases and things come out, and uh, we'll definitely bring them up on the show. In the meantime, again, head on over to TokyoLivesPodcast.com to watch the trailer if you haven't seen it already. Or uh, tomorrow on April fourteenth, we will have a trailer breakdown. Each individual shot that we felt was most important, um, broken down with our opinions and our thoughts on. Uh, how they fit into the film and, and where the film might be going. Indeed. Well, um, I guess uh, we never actually announced it at the beginning of this episode, but uh, as you cl- saw the title, uh, we are talking about Pacific Rim tonight. Uh, and I think it's about time for us to get to the main topic, don't you? Yeah, let's jump in. As we said, we are talking about Pacific Rim tonight. This is the 2013, I would dare say classic, uh, (laughs) giant monster kaiju versus mech uh, American film by Guillermo del Toro. Yes. Uh, This was a big deal when it came out. But first, I want to talk about your thoughts on Guillermo del Toro as a director, producer, artist. Um, I honestly, I really like him. Uh, he has a very unique style and a unique way of working, uh, and, and, and making films. Uh, he is, he's a big fanboy is what he is. Uh, and in the best way, um, sometimes you hear about these directors that are huge fans of the products that they're working on and they like, let it take over their brains and then they don't do a good job. Uh, whereas with him, like for instance, with Hellboy, like he was a super fan of Hellboy, uh, growing up. Uh, and so whenever he focused on making Hellboy, he was like, I'm going to make the movie I wanted to see when I was a kid. And then he made the movie that he wanted to see as a kid. He cast Ron Perlman, and then he and Ron Perlman became best friends. And, <laughs> uh, and then they were in every movie, to, uh, you know, he cast Ron Perlman in every single movie he's ever done since then. Uh, and, you know, this movie is exactly that for him. 
he grew up watching the Ultraman uh, series. Uh, he's a huge fan of Ultraman. Uh, he's a big fan of the the like early Godzilla films, and it really shows. But uh, yeah, I, I really like him as a director. I've I loved Pan's Labyrinth. I loved Hellboy. I loved Hellboy too. So I've, I I mean I've never had any problems with any of his films actually. Yeah, I mean uh, I've heard some people say some things about his latest film, the ghost film Crimson Peak. Is that? It? Oh yeah, it was okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just I heard there was if you had certain expectations you were going to be let yeah. down because he always he does always really do his, his fault that was more the marketing team's fault but <laughs> yeah he does always do his his own thing you can't follow him for that and uh really i think he's got the style and the visual uh artistry of someone like you know like Zack snyder or michael bay without having to subtract from like a clear vision and a, right a story like he does build worlds he does tell really unique stories and i think in pacific rim one of the big things you can fault him on is the story i would disagree i think it's aspects of the story yeah i think the story itself is incredibly solid yeah he does he does build a really cool world in pacific rim sure it's it's how it's told it's uh some of the execution but but i think the story is great and it's really there um i think uh i think guillermo del toro makes movies for like you said the fans but it's really for him like you said yeah, he, he makes he, he movies makes for, for himself, himself. Mm-hmm. and he's obviously a, a talented artist in not the you know indie filmmaker way or the auteur filmmaker way of saying it i think he's an artist a literal traditional artist working in film and caring about the format and how you tell a story in the format using it uniquely i don't think we have a lot of people who do that nowadays no yeah. and he's one of the few yeah definitely um but yeah, to get into the movie a little bit, uh, there really wasn't much marketing for this movie, which is kind of why it, it didn't do as well as they wanted it to in the box office, to be perfectly honest. Uh, whenever this movie was in first, first in development, uh, it was actually a spinoff of what he originally wanted to do, which was uh, uh, in the Mountains of Madness or whatever, the Thulu uh, story. The Lovecraft story, yes. Or, yeah, well, I mean, it's about Thulu, right? That one specifically no, is about Thulu. No, it's Thulu. not. It's not? I <laughs> nope. thought that one was. Nope. Anyway. Whatever. Anyway, moving on. Uh, he, uh, he he wanted to do that film, and he really, really, really wanted to do that film. And then he started coming up with this idea uh, for an original uh, monster film uh, that kind of harkened back, like I said, to like the Ultraman series and uh, stuff that he really liked when he was a kid. Um, and so the studio kind of put a hold on his mo- uh, Mountains of Madness and decided to let him start developing this film. Uh, and then... During the same time, whenever he started developing this film, was the same time that the same studio, Legendary Pictures, got the rights to do uh, Godzilla. Um, and so there's this weird thing where, first of all, a lot of the audience members, before they really started doing any sort of marketing, thought that this movie was uh, a placeholder title for Godzilla. Yeah. And that was confusing in itself. Uh, and then the marketing started for this movie, and we found that it wasn't, but... They just didn't really, like, distinguish it in its marketing. They didn't really show you what it was all about until, like, the final trailer. And by that time, there wasn't enough time to build up hype for it. I think for that, for that, I remember the original trailer that showed uh, Gypsy Danger walking through the street with the uh, giant cargo. Yeah, uh, the baseball <laughs> bat. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I remember that being a big deal. And I think maybe the uh, original trailers focused too much on the mechs. 
and didn't differentiate them from the kaiju, and it was kind of just confusing on what was happening. They really didn't um, talk about the story in mm-hmm. the trailers at all. Like, n- nothing. Like, you know, I, I'm all for hiding stuff in the trailers, but, like, I had no idea what the movie was about other than, oh, a giant robot punch- punching a kaiju. Like, I'm in, but, like, I have no idea what the actual story They really be. sold this movie before it opened as a stupid, dumb action movie. Mm-hmm. They a hundred percent. They thought it was like uh, it was like the marketing campaign for Cowboys versus Aliens. Like they were trying to sell the ridiculousness of it. Where I don't think that Guillermo del Toro thought it was ridiculous. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous, but it's not ridiculous in the way they were trying to market it. Yes. Like he, yeah, he he was going over the top with the action and stuff, but the rest of the movie is not over the top at all. So like, whenever it gets to action scenes, it is really over the top and really cool. But you know, the the actual story elements and the characters and the plot don't go that over-the-top route most of the time. So jumping into the story, um, it, it centers around Charlie Hunnam's character, uh, who is named Raleigh Beckett. And his brother Yancey and him are ka- kaiju fighters, uh, these Jaeger pilots. Jaegers are the mechs in the film. And it's really about this program that after these kaiju start showing up out of this portal in the abyss in the middle of the pacific ocean uh we created our own monsters we created these mechs to fight them with and i mean there's a great backstory in the uh prequel comic what's the name of that uh year zero i believe year zero it's it's a great prequel comic that goes into like the first jaeger they built and uh goes into um Pentecost's character when he was still a full-on Jaeger pilot. It goes into all of that. But so basically you have Charlie Hunnam's character, uh, Raleigh, who his brother Yancey and him were drift compatible. They were it takes two people to run these mechs, and in the middle of a fight, his brother dies, ripped away from him, right in mid-drift, <laughs> and it's just traumatizing for him. Yeah. Uh and from that he quits being a Jaeger pilot. He's uh building he's a construction worker on this new wall program that's which was the, the worst idea in yeah, the world. <laughs> taking all the funding away from the uh, jaeger program and it's kind of just a, a movie that really wants you to root for these jaeger pilots they were these heroes almost like astronauts i think that's the closest analogy they were treated like astronauts where back in the day when they walked on the moon they were yeah. heroes they oh were, yeah they couldn't no. go into a restaurant and pay for their own meal I mean, that's what these Jaeger pilots were, and they were winning. They were doing good, but after a string of losses uh, with these larger and larger kaiju coming out of the um, out of the rift, um, they, you know, the world turned to these walls to protect them. That obviously didn't, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and these these pilots, you know, there were barely any of them left, and those yeah. that did, they all congregated in Hong Kong and uh, tried to stage one last big attack uh, to end the war. I mean, that's the plot of the movie, but it obviously goes way more in depth with uh, Pentecost's adopted daughter, Mako, and yeah. her story, and her wanting to be a pilot, and Raleigh's relationship with her, and, and coming back into the force and being a pilot again. There's some deep threads in here. I mean, it's nothing about this movie is subtle, no, but I feel yeah. like there's subplot on top of subplot that all works together yeah. really, really well. It really it just, does. It just it really moves does. really, really quickly. It does, and I, unfortunately, um, the, the one of the problems with this story is that, uh, uh, like several other movies that have come out, I feel like this movie could have used uh, maybe a, another movie to explain half the stuff that's going on. Uh, they they kind of have to force exposition on you so much in this movie 
uh, trying to tell you, hey, this is what's going on in the story now. And they have a character, uh, you know, Raleigh is like the voiceover uh, most of the time, uh, telling you exactly what's going on and why the characters are doing what they're doing and why they're acting the way they're doing and why uh, this Jaeger is less powerful than this Jaeger. And, and uh, every character has a moment of exposition where they just they just dump exposition from their character's point of view, from something there is their specialty. Um, this is extremely extremely exposition heavy um, yeah, definitely and and uh that is one downside of the story is uh the the actual base storylines of the characters and what they're doing and how they're evolving through the story works but unfortunately because there's so much to explain because the world is kind of a complicated place uh they they have to expedition exposition dump so much sometimes that it just it becomes overwhelming to the viewer uh to be perfectly honest yeah it's, uh, it's a it's a huge world and they they really built a unique world. I mean, you yeah. you need that exposition because there's so much going on and it really does aid the story. Yeah. I think my experience uh, first seeing this film back in 2013, uh, I've only seen this movie two or three times counting last night. And the first time I saw it, I think last night was actually had to be my second time seeing it. Even though I'm a huge monster fan and a huge kaiju fan, uh, I got a really bad taste in my mouth the first time I watched this. I, it really disappointed me. I was really excited about it. And I really feel like this is a two-watch movie. You watch it the first time to get that world, get a sense of what's going on, see some cool action. Second time you watch it, you have that information to, to dig a little deeper. And really, right. if you can track down the comic, that helps a ton too. Um, because once I was comfortable uh, re-watching this last night and re- uh, comfortable with the world, I mean, I loved it. I, yeah. I loved the throwbacks to to anime and to classic kaiju films, and this is this is a this is a really deep and heavy film, and just the sense of of what it's trying to pull off and what yeah, the world is trying to create. This it, it really works. Definitely, I mean, and that, and that's the biggest thing is you know the, he, Del Toro that he he whenever he's trying to build a world, he goes all out. I mean, he's not he's not gonna you know half acid i guess uh excuse the language uh but he's not going to he's not going to do that he wants to he wants to put a lot of depth into the world he wants to the point to make it so that um you want to read the prequel comic because there is interesting stuff that happened in the past that we didn't get to see like why is Pencost the way he is you know uh what is the actual relationship between Raleigh and Yancey uh, before Yancey dies? The flashback scene yeah. to Mako as a child and Pentecost saving her, that's just a, a little 10, 15-minute scene, and it's an attack in the past on just uh, one of the cities. Uh, it's Tokyo, right? That's yeah, it's Tokyo. Tokyo. Yeah, that one scene is better than countless really held up high giant monster films i mean the one scene is an amazing (laughs) classic giant monster attack on a city and it's it's expertly done i mean through the eyes of a little girl yeah yeah. it's amazing where she's she's getting chased by ebra basically yeah (laughs) (laughs) pretty much and and just the um talking about the world building the production design in this yeah. film uh so many sets real life sets obviously aided by cgi but uh whenever they're in their hong kong base um mm-hmm. you can tell so much of that is real and just it's just really really well done and created amazingly yeah and it, it, the movie definitely has a unique style to it um i have stuff to say about the cgi later once we get to the monsters and the jaegers but uh but the actual style of the movie is consistent and it's really really cool um uh, the uh the cinematography is really interesting because they use a lot of blues and oranges throughout the entire film. 
it, it's 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 just a really like one you know I, I keep saying it's a unique world, but it is. It's just a very it's a well thought out. Uh, this is how this stuff works, and this is what it looks like, and it looks really cool. And like you said, the the I think the actual pilots, uh, the actual like inside the head is uh, practical uh, to a certain extent. You want to talk about practical? I, I did a little research on this film, and we were talking yeah. about um, with Godzilla Resurgence and and how it's like a mixture of CGI and practical. Uh, more of this movie is practical than you think, like a lot more. Uh, there's certain scenes where the Jaegers are fighting the Kaiju where, um, say, Gypsy Danger's fist goes through an office building. The interior of the office building being destroyed by a giant fist, practical. Uh Oh, really? Completely practical. Uh, That's cool. (laughs) And and, and so much of it is practical. Like some of the shots of the head going down into the body of the Jaeger is done with miniatures. Um it's it's crazy how far Guillermo del Toro goes to use practical whenever he can. I mean, look at the Hellboy movies. Yeah, uh, yeah those are absolutely. almost seventy five percent practical, and that's insane. All right, uh, I I really like this movie, uh, but I, I have to play devil's advocate. I, I have seen the movie probably two or three times more than you have. Mm-hmm. Not much more, but I have seen it a few times more than uh, than you have, and I I do. After watching it so many times, I do have a little, a few more little complaints about just certain things. Uh, and my my wife and I, when we were watching it last night, got into a huge discussion. And she she's trying to become a scientist, so she knows all about like genetics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I was trying to explain to her that like I don't think that uh, whenever they drop the the exposition bomb of the kaiju being clones of each other is a mm-hmm. very effective exposition bomb. Because saying they're clones of each other, as far as a moviegoer experience goes, that means they look exactly the same. Like, they're the same person. You know what I mean? Like, whenever you hear clone in a movie sense, it means like, oh, you took me and you made another me, and that me is running around. That's not what they mean by clones whenever he's talking about the kaiju. It's very fresh in my mind. I just finished the film last night. Charlie Day does specifically say in that scene... We thought since they don't look the same, no, I that know. they were all different, he but says they're it. clones. He says it, but the thing is, is that he drops that exposition bomb, and then they immediately have to move on from it. Yeah, so like they don't like everything in this film, like everything else. Yeah, so it's, so it's like he drops that exposition bomb, saying they're clones, and yeah, we thought they they were completely different, cre- you know, from some of their, you know, they were different creatures, blah 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 blah. But like, he doesn't go into it more than that, other than just saying no, they're clones. They have the same DNA, and then they just move on. And it's just like, what does that mean? <laughs> I think the main point of that was just uh, it was our first reveal that they're manufactured. They're yeah. not natural creatures. Yeah. No, I, I get that. And I, I do understand that. It's just uh, as as uh, an exposition point in the film that doesn't really work. Uh, it, it, to me, uh, looking at it as trying to be a general audience member. Obviously, my giant monster brain and you know my, <laughs> my nerdiness of it mm-hmm. knows, oh, yeah, I know what they mean. I know what they're doing. But – from a general audience perspective, I think that there's a lot of things like that in this movie where they kind of just throw stuff at you and they have to move on and they expect you to kind of grasp what they're doing. And sometimes I don't think that works, um, to the full extent. Uh, now, you know, the, the actual, the actual, like I said, the, the actual structure of the plot is, it does work really well. Uh, I think that I, I really like how, uh, the especially the beginning of this film where they do the exposition dump of what the world is like that that sequence is just really cool when they're talking about K Day and they're talking about K Day is the but for the audience it's uh 
the day that the first kaiju appeared in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're talking about how that attack went down and how they just kept coming. And they show all these really cool sequences of like how after a while the kaiju started being used to sell toys and to all this stuff, you know, when the Jaegers were at their highest of uh, abilities. And it's just, it, it really does build that world at the beginning. But then when they try and build the world as they're continuing on, it kind of has little step balls, like where it just trips over itself. This really should have been a couple movies. Um, yeah. That's that's true. But, you know, maybe he, he knew he wouldn't be able to get anything after this. <laughs> but we're getting a second film after out of it. So We'll talk about the second film after we're done with the first film. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I just after two watches, again, I... I was blown away by this movie last night. Uh, I've, I've seen it before. I followed its production. Uh, but, you know, I, I really think it needs a rewatch. But even saying yeah. that, even saying that I really enjoyed it, I think it's one of the best giant monster films out there, period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, saying that, it does have a lot stacked against it as well. Um, again, the pacing is breakneck fast you have yeah. to keep up this the fact that you need to watch it twice to really fall <laughs> in love with this film that, yeah. <laughs> that's a negative that that is a negative yeah. and um mako and and charlie hunnam's character uh raleigh they have zero chemistry None they have no whatsoever. chemistry whatsoever i like both actors i actually think i like charlie hunnam in here a lot more than you did i think um but I, I, I think they have no chemistry together. I don't buy that love story. Yeah. I possibly buy the friendship and the drift compatibility. I think the, a couple scenes really play that up and do well. Yeah, I, I buy it. I do buy it more as a friendship. And I think that's, that's, that's a mistake they kind of made was trying to make it somewhat romantic. Because uh, I, I, I questioned that last night when I was watching it as well. I was like, is this supposed to be a romantic relationship? Yeah. Or is it supposed to be? They're just, they're just friends. Uh, but no, I, it's not that I didn't like Charlie Hunnam in this movie. It's just that I really feel like he can hit one note and he just stays at it. He's, he's definitely a one note actor. Like, uh, he plays a character on a show called Sons of Anarchy. Uh, and it's the exact same character that he plays here, except he doesn't pilot a giant mech. Like they, they're the exact same person. So it's just, it's just kind of hard for me to look past, uh, certain aspects of him trying to act uh and mako well i mean she's she was a first-time actress i think in this film mm-hmm. uh and i mean she does okay i, I mean, think she grows it, into it as the yeah. movie goes along yeah she she does okay there's nothing i don't have any problems specifically with her but like uh you know yeah you're right though they have no chemistry in this movie between the two of them they're supposed to be our our romantic love interests for i the will movie. say that the subplots we're supposed to care about they all come to a head um, at the end of the movie, they all kind of have their own little finishes all together, almost montage style. Yeah, and those did work for me a lot more this time. I they actually had an emotional impact. Let's just let's just run through them. Like the, you're talking about, like uh, for instance, uh, Pentecost and what he's going through. How you know he's dying. Pentecost and, and him dying and his daughter. Yeah, I think that's and, his, a big and one. his daughter dealing with trying to like let her go and all that stuff. That really worked for me. Uh, the For some reason, I know people hate this, but the Australian duo, the father and son, yeah, that yeah. worked for me. That totally worked for me this time. I was It was heartfelt. <laughs> yeah, it works. I, I just, I wish, I almost wish they had shown a little bit more between them. Yeah. Uh, because it, like, the, the, the scene at the end, whenever, you know, the, the son is going off to, with Pentecost to drive uh, Strike Eureka, uh that scene is really effective like that scene has always been effective for me but like their relationship other than that scene is kind of ambiguous like other than the the son being a jerk 
I like the idea of the, the whole drift compatibility and how it ends up with siblings so often and family members. And I like the idea of like a father and son who drift with each other have zero secrets, which I think a father and son, there is like a kind of a barrier there in general. Yeah. Like there's, I don't know. It's just, it's that relationship. It's not, it's not as open generally. So yeah, to have that kind of story going on in the background, I just focused on it more this time and thought about the uh, the intricacies of it, and it I, it really it pushed me there at the end. And uh, further on, Mako and uh, Raleigh's characters, them, you know, becoming drift compatible, and yeah, they're supposed to fall in love. But I really like the scene where they're uh, sitting on the catwalks and Gypsy Danger is being repaired behind them. Oh, and yeah. They're just kind of learning about each other and learning more about each other. And we're about to go into that flashback with yeah. our character. That really worked for me. That helped build that drift compatibility and why they should be together and how hard Raleigh fights to have her as, as his partner. Yeah. I, if you take the love aspect out of it, all of that really works. And so yeah, I kind of just did. It does. It really does. Um, um, I think the, the two characters that we're, we haven't have talked about yet is, uh, Charlie Day's character and uh, Burn Gorman's Gorman. characters, yeah. uh, the the two scientists. Uh, which Charlie Day's character, the, oh, like their their little shtick is actually really cool. I I always liked their their yeah, it's really their funny. banter between <laughs> each other and stuff. And like it's that. sweet and, at the end. It really yeah, is. Yeah, they they you know they. I, I don't want to spoil that, but they they get they have that moment at We're the end. We're discussing the film. It's from 2013. They have the moment at the end where they drift with each other with the kaiju brain, and yeah. it's, it's a really cool moment and a really nice moment. And where the they idea realize, that they're not the yeah. idea that they're not pilots and they get to drift—it's like you can see them light up when they come to that idea yeah. uh, that they get to drift together like pilots do, and they they get really super excited like little kids about to play with their toys. Yeah, um, definitely. I I like that relationship. I like that a lot. No, yeah, I do too, and I, I think. Uh, I think his Charlie Day's character specifically uh, is one of the driving forces of this film to a certain extent. Like he he may seem like a side character, but really he I mean he's kind of one of the main characters of the film. He wins the war. Like, yeah, he really is. Uh, he, he wins the war. He just he just kind of he pushes things along almost more so than any of the other people because the other people are just like oh let's just drop the nuke and he's like well wait maybe we shouldn't just go do that <laughs> like maybe that's not going to work. Um, and then uh, you know you have Ron Perlman as a as a bit part as uh, Hannibal Chow, uh, which he's pretty he's pretty funny as the character he plays. Nothing really too much to go into with him. He's the uh, the kaiju uh, like he, they he takes all the dead kaiju and cuts their body parts up and sells it to the highest bidder, the black market kaiju dealer, if you will. <laughs> now to be fair, his so he he gets the mid credit fake out scene, yeah, where you think like it's gonna pull like a Godzilla ninety eight on this uh, slow push in on the monster's stomach. You think yeah. like maybe another monster's going to jump up or something. <laughs> and Ron Perlman comes out alive. Uh, don't they make a real big point in this movie that their blood is toxic? Oh yeah. He's dead. <laughs> okay. I didn't know if that was maybe he's immune or. No, well, I, I mean, maybe he is. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, the, him coming out quick. of the Kaiju's belly was supposed to be like, he's the ultimate badass. He's survived being swallowed by a Kaiju, you know, yeah. like, I don't know. The characters themselves individually and their their arcs with like like one other character, or two other characters really work well. Uh, but like you know, like I was saying earlier, sometimes whenever they're interacting as a whole, it doesn't. They they, they just there's some of the actors that just don't have chemistry with the others, and it just whenever they interact with the other people, like it seems really forced. But to a certain extent, maybe it should. Some of them are kind of jerks. 
Uh, so <laughs> now but. I know there's a certain part of audience right now being like, oh, my gosh, why are they talking about the character interactions and the plot <laughs> points of Pacific Rim? Uh, for those people, I say we now move on to the action, the kaiju, the mechs, the Jaegers. Um, I have one more thing to say about the plot real okay, quick. Okay, one more thing. Go ahead. In response to exactly what you just said, uh, you know, if listeners to us don't care about spoilers and they're listening to us before they even think about checking out Pacific Rim, uh, just know that the reason why we are talking about the characters so much is because the character interactions and stuff take up a good, uh, I won't say three quarters of the movie, but... Uh, it's close to that. Like the the movie really has a real slow section in the middle of it, where you're literally just dealing with the characters. There's not much kaiju action going on. Uh, there's there's plenty of kaiju action in the film, but it's just there's there is a big section of the film in the middle where it is just characters dealing with each other. And you do so, get the flashbacks in that section and things like right, that. Yeah, there, there's stuff peppered in there, but like. There's good reason why we were talking about the story stuff, but I am perfectly happy to move on to the kaiju stuff. Yeah, so <laughs> you can obviously tell with these uh, with the kaiju and the Jaegers, uh, Guillermo del Toro is is mixing a lot of elements here of what he's a fan of. I mean, you've got yeah. some old school uh, Showa era Gamera villains uh, almost <laughs> yeah. making appearances. Yeah, you've, got, <laughs> you've got uh, Evangelion references left and right. It's just it's all over the place. I mean, there's definitely some gundam-esque elements <laughs> yes definitely um it's it's really great i mean it just to have just the fact that the pilots uh i mean they have to do this whole drift compatible thing i i feel like that's an original idea is that from anything specific like the idea of like two people coming together no, tele- telekinetically yeah, I, I mean i'm sure it's been used somewhere in uh anime or something like that but i don't know a specific instance of it being used but just uh, just the fact that uh their actual movements inside the cockpit uh, instead of having controls or joysticks or anything, them actually punching to punch with the robot. I mean, that's straight out of G Gundam. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's definitely that like the 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 Japanese influence is definitely strong in this movie, and it's good that it's there. Um, and uh, you know, like I was saying earlier, like he is a huge fan of Ultraman and stuff, and you can definitely see that in some of the kaiju designs. Um, and one of the cool things with the kaiju specifically, and I I, I loved that he did this, is that. He really wanted most of the kaiju, with the exception of like two of them, uh, to really look like uh, if if they had an unlimited budget, a man in a suit could have been inside the kaiju. So yeah. they still kept that that same humanoid form to it, which really you know, which you know, we talked about this back in our Cloverfield episode. That was one of the problems with Clover is that he he's so hard to describe. Like I I feel like I could describe all of the kaiju that appear in this film. Uh, in like a sentence. I think their names describe them pretty well. You've got knife head, you've got leatherback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fact that they give them names in the movie was a really good idea too. Um, you know, I think that's 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 very clever uh, the way they do it. Uh, you know, they just like they just name them the instant they come out of the breach, they come up with names. Uh, so uh, no, I mean the kaiju designs are very well done. Uh, the Chinese Jaeger, which is Crimson Typhoon, is actually very similar to, uh, a Evangelion, uh, design, uh, that is used in the anime. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, the Russian one is very similar to a robot from the Gundam series, like you were saying, the Gundam series. Uh, and so it's just really cool to see all these little things that he pulled from all these, like, these, you know, obviously where... 
where a lot of these giant monster movies came from. He he didn't look away from the history and the backlog. He instead looked towards it and decided to pull little things forward into his film and use it for the style that he was going for. Yeah. Now, I know you have an issue with the Category 5 yes. uh, Slattern. I uh, really Kaigu. do. <laughs> okay. Go ahead into that. All right. So, uh, you know, I want to talk about some of the other specific kaiju, but I'll start with Slattern because it's the one that I have the most problem with. Uh, the other ones I love, actually. All the other kaiju in the film I love, except for Slattern. So they build up this category system with the with the kaiju. You know, it starts off, the first kaiju that it shows up is a category one, and then they talk about how they were fighting category twos for a while, and then category three showed up, and they were the ones that started defeating the Jaegers, and then category fours were the ones that we primarily see in this film. Uh, the only category three I think we actually really see is Knifehead. Uh, I think he was a category three. Um... Anyway, uh, so they build up the fact that no one's ever seen a Category 5. Like, Category 5 is something that's, you know, we obviously it probably exists because Category 4s exist, but we've never seen one. Uh, so they get down to the, the, the bottom of the ocean. They're about to try and jump through and blow up the nuke and close the rift. And they're like, oh, no, they're, the two Category 4s are circling around the rift. Something big's coming through. And they build it up, and he get he like uh, the 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 guy uh, the rockabilly guy Tindo Tindo yes he turns to the camera and goes it's a category five and they and like it's like oh man what is this thing gonna look like it's gonna be crazy it's gonna be this huge bestial thing like I'm imagining all these crazy like you know Godzilla monsters in my head that could make a reference to or just in general like just just large bestial kaiju and then out comes this thing that looks like a combination of all the other kaiju that we've seen plus like a squid and it's just the most underwhelming thing in the world that it looks very similar to all the other kaiju there's nothing even big uh, there's not a big difference between it versus some of the other kaiju other than the tentacle legs and uh, you know i was describing this to you earlier like i think the reason why this kaiju disappoints me it's not that the design is bad the design is great it's fine it it matches all the other ones you know they're clones uh, in a sort uh, from of each other so it makes sense that they would look similar but the problem is is that you know you look at a movie like twister where they have this same category system that they build up throughout the movie that you know they start with the f1 then they go to the f2 they run into an f3 there's an f4 and then they get to the f5 and they talk they build this thing up throughout the entire movie just like they do with the category five in this film and they're talking about how it's like the hand of god it's like the biggest thing you'll ever see in your life and it's terrifying and then whenever they finally get to the f5 it's huge it is scary it takes up an entire cornfield like this thing is like awful like you're you just look at it you're just like oh man i don't know how these guys are going to do what they're trying to do because that thing is terrifying get out of this one guys right pretty much but it's just like that's the feeling I wanted to get whenever I saw this kaiju. I would have rather this kaiju had popped out and it be like 200 meters like tall or long. Like just like literally just be this bestial thing that like overwhelms the other category fours that are there. And it's like it's just big like king kaiju, you know, like this big crazy thing. But instead they just kind of went the safe route and just made something very similar to what they did before. And it doesn't – the only thing that it does that the other ones don't do is it survives the nuke blast – and that's it. That's the only thing that it now, does. Uh, okay, my, I, I will respond to this. Uh, I do believe that a lot is taken away from it uh, by the fact that 
we're seeing it underwater and the yeah. other kaiju are swimming around whereas it's like walking um i do think if you just if you just look at the sizes off of like wikipedia and and resource of the film it is way more massive and the actual design of it that you don't really see very clearly in the movie it is very like king Ghidorah almost inspired it's got three tails it's got these uh cthulhu tentacles it's this huge hammerhead shark head that's rising above and it walks on like multiple legs uh it it really is this massive thing that in other kaiju movies like you know you'd have multiple kaiju ganging up to fight it um i really think we got that it was just not represented well on screen uh you didn't really see it it was very hectic in that battle right because they 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 brought it out and then they're because they were rushing to get to the finale at that point almost like they didn't have time to show how badass it was because they killed the other jaegers in the previous battle which is another thing that i have to say is yeah we really (laughs) wanted to get to know those pilots and those jaegers and we didn't get a chance yeah they introduce them and you're like oh man that russian one uh is really cool like that's you know they they build up both of them they say like uh what was the russian one names uh keep saying eternal alpha right yeah. Uh, so they build that one up. They're like, it, it was the, the one that patrolled the Russian border for the last, like, 15 years and stuff like that. So they really build up the fact that, like, that one is just, like, it's it's that old, like, Russian, like, I'm going <laughs> to – I may be a rusty old machine, but I'm going to just whoop your butt. Like, and they build that up. And whenever it does fight, whenever you see the brief fight against Leatherback, like, it, it does – like do some really cool like punching and stuff like it has like a retractable fist thing going on but then it instantly just like gets ripped apart and they get killed which you can't fault the movie for not having stakes i mean no yeah no these really badass pilots die super quick and and get ripped apart yeah i'm all for stakes but the fact is is like all the like literally the they they do that they kill off the or they kill the chinese people first and then they kill the russians just like back to back there's not it's not like oh, no, one person died, that means the stakes are high, like, more people can die. No, they kill off these side characters that we didn't even meet, really. We just heard who they are and what they do. And then they kill both of them real quick so that they can show Gypsy Danger being a badass. Like, I would have liked to see more time spent with the other Jaeger pilots uh, so I would have cared that they died, and, and I would have cared that their Jaeger got destroyed. And to be fair, again, also, uh, with the way the kaiju fight, I thought this was a really good point that this movie does that a lot of other movies hold back on is when you have these giant monsters which is monsters in general and you know like like in a werewolf movie a lot of times the werewolf will get right up on the main character or something and where they could easily like rip their throat out real quick or do something and kill them immediately because they're a wild animal and we know how fast uh, an animal that wants to hurt you can hurt you um for some reason they don't and so many horror movies and monster movies and and even giant monster movies it's like they're holding back for some reason these kaiju take every opportunity to get closer to claw faster to get in under armor to to bite where they can bite wherever their reach is that's what they go for they're they're very vicious and and incredibly well represented on screen oh absolutely yeah no uh and that's honestly the the strongest thing i would have to say about this movie is the kaiju uh or as far as not this movie as a whole but just like between the jaegers and the kaiju i feel like the the kaiju are actually the stronger suit Mm -hmm. uh i mean the 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 jaegers are just kind of generic robots you know or mechs i mean they they do have cool designs to them but there's nothing really that special i mean there's those cool moments where they pull out the cool powers you know with the you know the sword and the elbow rocket and stuff like that like that that was fun but like that wasn't like the kaiju were just like they were vicious they were they like 
they were huge and like I don't, I don't, just the way that like you were talking about the way they moved the way they fought was just so like a kaiju would fight like this this huge creature um going after something it, it just it looked good it looked it looked realistic quote unquote as mm-hmm. far as how they were reacting to the situations but uh since we're on the topic of these i i did want to bring up something with the cgi i'm not the biggest fan of the cgi style uh that they used i've liked it i, I liked it before and i do like it I, it's just like I think I do prefer the more 2014, like, super realistic kaiju and stuff designs. This did have a an element of um, exaggeration to all yeah, the designs. like a cartoony kind of feel to it to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not bad. It works for the movie it's in because the whole, the whole world that they built around yes. it, it's stylized like that. So it works. But it's just, it's just personal preference. I kind of would have rather see... Uh, a little bit more realism with some of the things. And that's why you can't really have a crossover with, like, 2014 Godzilla, because it was going for super realism. Yeah, like, you'd either have to stylize the the Pacific Rim stuff to look more realistic, or you'd have to stylize 2014 Godzilla to look more Pacific Rim-y. Which, which granted, that could look really cool. I'm not saying, it, you know, it couldn't. I've seen some art uh, from fans that looks fantastic. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I mean... I, I don't want to see them cross over. I think it's similar to how if you're if you're watching something like like Gundam, like those, yeah. those robots make zero sense. Oh yeah, make absolutely. Uh, no why sense. do they have like <laughs> stars on their head and you know yeah. things like that? But you buy them within the universe and it, yeah. it, the style of this universe is set up exactly. early on. Yeah. So like like I was saying, I, it's not that I don't like it. It's just it's just something that I just noticed really on this last viewing of how stylized it is. Uh, and some people may, some people may actually not like it. Some pe- may, people may really like it. It's kind of like the whole, uh, you, you'll relate to this. Uh, some of our audience members may not know what I'm talking about, but, uh, Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, uh, yeah. <laughs> is, is kind of actually a good example of how it's so stylized that, you know, to a certain extent, it's going to stand the test of time a little bit better than maybe 2014 will, but I just happen to prefer 2014. And I think, I think actually the closer analogy is 2014 to uh, a Japanese kaiju film like Suitmation. I yeah. think, I think that's the closer analogy where as an American uh, Godzilla film, they went for super realism, CGI movement, yeah. uh, try to make it as realistic as possible. Whereas you take like um, the Gamera reboots, uh, the, the trilogy, <laughs> well, you have some wacky designs in there and you have some classic Suitmation with miniatures, but you know, somebody who's already a fan of that, they can buy into it. And I think, yeah. I think someone who likes the classic summation style with miniatures and that kind of fighting um that's who this movie and the style was made yeah for. definitely yeah definitely um but no i mean the uh, the biggest thing that i wanted to say about the kaiju before we uh move on to kind of our final final real thoughts and stuff like that uh, and talk about the sequel and potential for it mm-hmm. um you know i i really i really got to give the props to them for some of the kaiju designs uh you know uh, specifically uh, the ones that I really like are the two that they actually fight in the center of the film, which are uh, Otachi and uh, Leatherback. Uh, these two kaiju are really cool. Uh, I mean, Leatherback is basically what I kind of expect the uh, Kong in the Godzilla Legendary Universe to move like. Uh, I mean, he's basically a gorilla. Uh, and it, just the way that he fights and how he's like the super brawler uh is just really cool um and like i said his design and he has that emp attack uh which is really cool and then of course otachi uh is the the one that ends up having wings out of nowhere it's completely unexpected and is also pregnant uh yeah (laughs) but uh 
Which uh, what kaiju was your favorite personally? Easily, I mean, I really like Leatherback for the for the Kong shout out. I mean, it was yeah. it was cool to see that realized in that way that, that it fights even more vicious, I think, than than Peter Jackson's Kong. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. But I, I really did like, uh, even though it's early, I, I really like the fight with Knifehead. Yeah. I think I mean, it's only it's only a category three, but I think it's it's incredibly vicious. It's it's got that emotional uh, punch in the throat of uh, you know his brother being killed by it, by yeah. literally scratching into the head of the kaiju to oh, rip yeah. him out. Um, and it's just it's such a wacky design, but it, it you know it's uh, doing a little more research for. Uh, for this episode, uh, they actually didn't design that off of the the Gamera villain. No, they didn't. They used a goblin shark, right? And you can see that when he uh, goes to take a bite out of uh, Gypsy Danger, yeah, and, and his inner mouth comes out, right? out and yeah. grabs at it. <laughs> I thought it was just a, a a great a great design on him, and I really bought it and yeah. really liked it. And in some of the early flashbacks, um, those those kaiju as well, I thought were really really cool. Yeah, um, those were probably my favorites. Yeah. So, uh, so now that you've seen it, uh, you said your first time that you watched it, uh, you didn't enjoy it like at all. You walked away with a bad taste in your mouth and, uh, you know, you've kind of already given a general that you really, really liked it. But I mean, like, I mean, what, what are, what are your final thoughts on it? What are your final thoughts on it as a kaiju film? What are your final thoughts on it, uh, extending into the future? And what are your thoughts on the sequel? And then I'll kind of give mine as well. Okay. Um, so I mean, I, I didn't hate it the first time I saw it. I was just really disappointed. I really built it up in my head. I was really expecting it to be like kind of what Godzilla 2014 ended up being, like a realistic take on this stuff. And uh, at the end of the day, I, I just thought it was like a crazy action movie. And I think I might have like, you know, the second time I tried to watch it, I think I have tried to watch it three times. And the first time I, I left the theater disappointed, and then I tried to watch it on DVD, and I think I fell asleep. Um, and for something again, like similar to other movies I've watched, uh, rewatching it last night, it just clicked and fell into place. I knew the backstory. I had read the prequel comic to lead up to it. And I just really bought into this world and wanted to see as much of it as possible. And it gives you that it gives you multiple flashbacks. It gives you, uh, them building the wall. You have quiet scenes right along with, um, you know, the crazy action scenes and the focus on these pilots, because I was expecting that now. And that's what I really wanted out of it was to learn more about these pilots and see their um, struggle and what they're dealing with. Um, that's that. W- those were my expectations for this rewatch, and that really played well for me throughout the entire watching. And I, I just, I really got some things out of it that I hadn't looked at before or even known to look for. So mm-hmm. it really, really worked well for me. I have my nitpicks. It runs way too fast. It breakneck speak. I mean, it would have been like a three-hour movie if they hadn't done that, but... Um, I think splitting this up into a couple of films would have done it wonders. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I have no idea what the, what the new movie's going to do, but I mean, being directed by Stephen S. DeKnight, as that was recently announced, right. um, you know, he doesn't have a ton of directing cred, but he's been a producer and a writer on daredevil. Um, he's directed one of the episodes on there. So we know he can do action. Um, and, and that's, this is the TV series daredevil, not, not the uh, Ben Affleck daredevil. <laughs> the, yeah. Um, so this is a guy who I just really hope he doesn't completely give up on the Guillermo del Toro um, aspects of it, the the weird yeah. parts. Uh, I hope now that they have established this universe that the next movie just jumps right in, doesn't try to explain everything again. Um, 
I really want to see. And I, I really hope they just don't see it the way I think it was marketed. I, I really hope that he goes into it wanting to tell more stories of these pilots and doesn't just see it as a dumb action movie where you can turn your brain off and watch some big monsters get punched. Yeah. Um, I really want to see them continue on what this movie did, even though I think the people in charge probably don't want that. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, uh, I actually liked this film when I first saw it. Um, I, I, I've come to like it more and less at the exact same time over, uh, over my multiple viewings of it. Um, I think that, uh, like, you know, like we said earlier, like the fact is, is that this movie tries to do a lot in a real short amount of time. Uh, and it really could have done with like that whole opening sequence, like of the Kaiju first attack and the building of the Jaegers and all the stuff that happens in year zero probably should have been a movie in itself. Like that should have been the first, first specific rim. And this was the sequel uh, that didn't happen, of course, but look and looking at it as it is, it is still a good film. It is still a really fun film. Uh, and that, that is something like whenever the Kaiju fights are going on and, you know, the, he's got his elbow rocket, he's got his sword, he's got the baseball bat, uh, ship. Like, it is really fun to watch those battles play out. And, you know, like we said, the kaiju themselves, if you're watching it for that side of things, are super vicious. They're super cool looking. They got this cool blue uh, glow to them. Uh, like I said, there's blues and oranges in this entire film. That's what this film does. Uh, but uh, I really like this film. I think that it does stand up against a movie like 2014 Godzilla um, in quality and what it tried to do. Uh, and it... it it does deserve a sequel. However, I feel like we didn't need a sequel for it. Uh, the movie kind of ties up what it's doing pretty pretty uh, tightly. Uh, and I do think that it could have just kind of been left well enough alone and just moved on and done something different or done a prequel. Uh, but... Uh, I am interested to see what they're going to do with it. Just like you, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with, uh, I, I hope that Steven S. Knight doesn't look at this as just the kaiju battle scenes and the, that stuff. Like if he does, the sequel is going to fall flat to a certain extent. Um, it, it just, it needs to continue building on the world that's already there and it needs to focus on the pilots of the Jaegers. So that whenever we do see the Jaegers fighting the Kaiju, like, we know that there are humans inside there that we actually kind of care about. Uh, and uh, I, I'm excited to see what happens with the sequel. Uh, I mean, granted, the sequel has been going up and down so many times, I almost refuse to believe that it's actually happening. <laughs> you know, I think it's slated for, like, 2019 in between uh, Godzilla 2 and uh, Kong versus Godzilla. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> that stuff's going to get here quicker than we all think. Um you know, so I, I think that uh, I, I'm excited for the future for it. Uh, I want to see more of this universe, and I think it could be pretty cool. Anyway, yeah, I mean, this is why I wanted to start this podcast, because we're coming up to a slate of just movie after movie after movie, uh, <laughs> giant monster related. And now that we're getting, you know, Shin Godzilla and and uh, Kong Skull Island news, I, I, if this is any sign of the future and maybe a resurgence in giant monster films, uh, I think yep. we're going to be set for a while uh, I'm getting excited and hyped up for these things. So really looking forward to Pacific Rim 2. Uh, I hope we start seeing some concepts and some ideas thrown out by the filmmakers. Um, just because I want to see which direction they're going with it. But right. 
But I think we both agree that if you haven't seen Pacific Rim and you call yourself a kaiju or a giant monster fan, you oh, need yeah, to give sh- it a shot. You need to check <laughs> it out. And honestly, I think you need to watch it twice. I know that's crazy. And most people would just say, if it doesn't catch me in the first 15 minutes alone, let alone the first rewatching, uh, why would I Why would I give it a chance? I, I really think it plays better on the second time around. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So crazy episode tonight. Uh, we had a lot to talk about. Uh, we still kept it pretty tight for the most part. But uh, I mean, just with new Godzilla footage and Kong Skull Island footage and, and talking about uh, just a huge modern giant monster film. Uh, this is this was a big episode, so I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, as always at the end of our episodes, we announce the next episode that we are doing. And uh, we are going to do a book uh, that has been kind of getting a lot of attention, a uh, book series, I should say, uh, in the giant monster kaiju realm called Project Nemesis. Uh, I know that uh, one of our listeners has already actually picked up the book just from us mentioning it, uh, and Coleman has yet to actually read it. You don't know that. <laughs> but uh, I, I've i read this book uh, multiple times. I'm on my uh, read-through for the next podcast right now, uh, and I'm enjoying it just as much as I did before. Uh, so it's a really unique take on the kaiju genre. It's uh, something really modern, and I would love to see it turn into a film. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we're talking about Project Nemesis next time. We will be talking about the book, not the new comic series. Right. I mean, they are the same thing, but uh, we are talking... I've read a few of the issues of the comic, so I can kind of give a brief overview of some of the differences. Okay. But uh, but yeah, no, we are talking mainly about the actual novel itself. So yeah, so look forward to that. I'm really looking forward to that. I have started reading it, unlike yeah. what you're saying, but um, and so, far it's, so far it's excellent. So I can't wait to dive into that and talk about a book on the show, uh, which I think, I think a lot of Giant Monster podcasts or kaiju related podcasts they're mostly talking about just just slogging through the godzilla films and then maybe talking about something else afterwards so (laughs) this is where we're trying to really separate ourselves and and get into something that the community i know really loves and gets behind so right definitely so look for that next week as always jump on itunes give us a review or rating uh that really helps get the show out there and more people check it out uh jump on tokyolivespodcast.com where you can get up-to-date news you can get the new godzilla resurgence trailer uh we started doing trailer breakdowns so you can see shot by shot uh what we think and what what you can really uh get out of those and hint towards what's going to be in the the actual films themselves so jump on there we're on facebook we're on twitter uh we're everywhere just just find us subscribe rate review um that that really helps us and and we know that you're out there and that you're participating in the show and and makes us want to keep going all right guys well we'll see you next time i'm coleman i'm kyle bye everyone